Hey, Hill City, welcome. I'm so glad to be with you today. I'm Nicole, I'm part of the team here. And if you're new, if you're new to joining us online, we just wanna know that you're welcome here. This really is a safe place to explore your faith. And that's what we're really doing together in this series. We're in a series called Won't He Do It? And we're looking at the Gospel of Mark together. So the Gospels are the stories of Jesus's life, Jesus's life, his teachings, his action. And what they do is they really help us understand what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean that the good news is about the kingdom of God? And how do we experience that in the here and now right here? So we've been in the series for a few weeks now. We're in Mark chapter three today. And what I really want us to explore is how this passage that we're gonna look at, on first glance, you might think, what is going on here? Like, what is the big deal? But truly, there is a very big deal happening. And that very big deal is what Jesus does when he displaces things. And so I've got a little science experiment for us, just an illustration of the law of displacement. This I'm not a science teacher, so if you are and I get this wrong, you can correct me later. But Archimedes' principle is a like law of the nature, law of the universe that says that when you put something into volume, the volume of that will displace the same amount of volume, meaning this item, when it's in the water, is going to displace the exact amount of space that this rock is going to take up in this water. And that law is like functioning in the natural world and is really important in all kinds of different ways. And as we look at what Jesus is doing in this passage, we're going to see on first glance what's actually happening. But also, there are these like cosmic displacements that are happening when Jesus enters the scene. And they're very, very important for us in the here and now because those same displacements that we see happening here happen in our lives. So whenever we study a book of the Bible, it's really helpful to kind of orient around like, what's the direction that this thing is going? And most of the time at the beginning of the book, we can tell what that is. So in Mark chapter one, I just wanna point out verse three, right at the very beginning to kind of orient us to what's happening here. And that verse says, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So in this prophecy that's being said about what's going to happen when Jesus comes, what we know is that Jesus is going to have straight paths ahead. Something's going to change fundamentally in the direction of the way that we live our lives in the world. And then as these scenes unfold, we see that Mark is laying out these action sequences that all support this idea of how Jesus is making straight paths to the kingdom of God. So our passage today is Mark chapter 3. If you've got your Bible and you want to read along, our real hope and heart is that you would read through the gospel with us as we're teaching it out. So we're in Mark 3, um, and this is verses 1 through 6. So I'm going to read the story, and I just want to invite you as much as you can to just place yourselves in the story. Imagine this happening. Um, imagine the scene unfolding as we're listening to it. Verse 1. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. I mean, can you imagine the guy's like, I'm just trying to come to the synagogue. <laughs> and Jesus asked them, okay, what is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? but they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed by their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. 
He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Don't miss that because what just happened doesn't seem like it's worth like a plot to kill Jesus, but actually what is happening is an unbelievable cosmic displacement of the way that the religious, the serious, the good, we're seeing that we would live our lives. And what's happening is that religiosity, the idea of if I follow these rules, I can belong. If I do these things right, I can belong is being displaced, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's let's break it down together. Okay, first displacement. If you take notes, this would be a good first note. Displacement number one that happens in this passage. Jesus centers purpose and displaces policy. Jesus centers purpose and displaces policy, okay? So we want a little context of what's going on in this passage right before this, and that will help us understand. So right before this in Mark 2, the last passage that we haven't looked at, but I hope you'll read. In Mark 2, we have another example of things happening on the Sabbath. Jesus seems to be operating outside the norms of what was said needed to happen on the Sabbath. And in chapter 2, he does the same thing. He wraps up chapter 2 with this phrase in verse 27. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So he's given this big idea that actually he has authority to define what it means to live out of the Sabbath. Now, you may or may not have any context for what the Sabbath is, but the idea of the Sabbath takes us all the way back to the Old Testament in the Ten Commandments. We talked about that in week one, if you want to go back and kind of hear that big story. But as these commandments are given to God's chosen people, one of those commandments is about the Sabbath. This is in Exodus 20. This was the original intent. This is the actual phrase about what it means to honor the Sabbath. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So in the original context, we hear what the Sabbath was for. And if you notice kind of all the stipulations given to the Sabbath, the idea behind the Sabbath was actually for the working people. Its purpose was designed for renewal and restoration for the working people. And in the last illustration, in the last story, um, we actually see that Jesus uses scripture to build his argument that when we add a bunch of things to the Sabbath that aren't in the original purpose, we've lost the intent completely. And that's what's actually been happening. As the time went on, as generations passed, the religious leaders took what was there, the purpose of the Sabbath, and added lots of rules and stipulations to what the Sabbath means. And there was a very, very distinct set of like legal that you needed to follow in order to be living out the Sabbath. And I've really wrestled through this because I think that most of us, when this lands in our ears, we're like, that's so dumb. Like, why would people do that? Because we live in a very individualistic culture. We live in a culture that just espouses freedom as one of our highest virtues. And so it can be hard for us to understand what this would be like. But here's the thing, you guys. We do this all the time. 
all the time we center policy over purpose. We find ways to know if we're in or if we're out. I remember back in high school, as I was like in the deep in kind of the evangelical culture of that day, the idea like that you would ever listen to um, a song that had a bad word in it, that was your in or your out. Like your Christianity rose and fall fell on the idea that you listen to a song that might have a profanity in it. When I went to college, your Christianity rose and fell on whether you were a person who was drinking alcohol or not. These are the kind of things that we do. And why do we do that? Why do we go to policy? I think it's actually because it's, it's comfortable. It helps us know who's in and who's out. It helps us know if I do these things, I belong. And here's the thing, guys, like our, our actual need of our heart is this like deep need to belong. And when we're looking for all of these ways to find the way we belong, I see it in my, my son's prom picture with his like 14 friends in their Air Jordans. It's like, who's in the group? It's the kids with the Air Jordans on, they're in the group. We all find ways to say who's in and who's out. Where do I belong? And truly in this passage, what we see is that there's just like a culture and a system that's developed that says, hey, if you wanna be serious about your faith, here's the things that you can do to belong. And one of those things had become the Sabbath. The way that you lived out the Sabbath was the way that you belonged. And so when Jesus comes in and he disrupts the system, and he says, actually, we're gonna center the kingdom of God on purpose, not on policy. It was so distressing to the policy makers, to the ones who said how it was meant to be. So when Jesus heals, he illustrates the actual purpose of Sabbath for renewal and restoration. Obviously, the man with the withered hand wasn't in a life or death situation. In fact, we don't even know if the guy with the withered hand was seeking healing. We know that he was a faithful guy showing up to the synagogue on Sabbath. And we know that Jesus uses miracles to illustrate principles of the kingdom of God. And so when he decides to have this man stand in front of everyone and be healed, he's illustrating and centering the idea that purpose comes over policy. And Jesus is now defining the purpose of Sabbath is for renewal and restoration. We feel safe when we can measure things on the outside. But the problem is we aren't made for measurements because what measurements do is they actually either cultivate pride in us, I'm gonna measure myself and I've found myself above others, or they cultivate shame in us. I'm gonna measure myself and I find myself lacking. And most of us actually like wildly swing between those two pendulums of pride and shame because we're seeking that belonging. But the reality is when we use those kind of measurements that lead us to pride or shame, it's actually evil. Like evil is behind pride and shame. So our need for belonging is a God-oriented need. Our way of finding it in policy instead of purpose is actually has evil intent. And I think one of the reasons that Jesus was so distressed in this moment, like it says he was just so angry at what they were saying, the way they were trying to trap him when there was someone in need right in the synagogue, that he was distressed by their stubbornness to not allow purpose to be centered over policy. Okay, displacement number two, the great cosmic displacement of Jesus is that Jesus centers the marginalized over the proud. Jesus centers the marginalized and displaces the proud. 
So when policy becomes the way we do measurement, and measurement can lead us to a place that says, I'm good because I'm in, or I'm bad because I'm out. Jesus consistently through the Gospels, we're gonna see this play out all through the, the book of Mark, Jesus consistently centers the marginalized and displaces the proud. He consistently tells parables and does miracles and illustrates this principle that he's gonna center the marginalized. And there's two kinds of marginalized that I wanna make sure that we understand. The first is the kind of marginalization that comes from like humility, just, just a humble sense of self, like knowing that I'm limited and that I'm finite, and that I'm not enough, and looking and actually lifting our eyes to say, I know where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. That's an important component of what it means to be on the margin, because we know that power moves to the center, power and pride are in the center. But there's like a second kind of marginalized too, and that that second kind of marginalized is actually marginalized. You know, all through scripture, we see that our God is a God of justice who calls for special, special ramifications, special concessions, special moves towards those that the culture actually marginalizes. So this isn't just about humility, although that's very important. It's also about actual marginalized people. And Jesus seems to have a very special eye for those on the margins, and he's consistently moving them to the center. Notice in this story that he, he actually literally moves the marginalized guy to the center. He calls him to the front of the room. He gives him a place of honor, and he heals him. And I guess my question for all of us is we, we have to wrestle through, first of all, how do I place myself in this system of measurement that is our world? What am I seeking and striving after so that I can feel okay? And the second question is, what am I doing if I'm seeking Jesus? What is my intentional move toward humility in my own heart, toward the marginalized, the intentional way that I actually try to center the marginalized in my life, in my resources, in my time, in my finances? What is my part in that? When Jesus heals, he redefines need. So Mark 3, 4, right in the middle, as he got, brings this guy forward, he looks at those who are questioning him, looking to accuse him, trying to trap him, to get him to do something that they think is wrong to do on the Sabbath. And he says to them, what is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? You see, Jesus redefines need because the guy's actually not dying, but Jesus sees that this withered hand is a figurative expression of a place in this man's life and a literal expression that needs renewal. And that actually the purpose of Sabbath is renewal. And so Jesus redefines the actual need of what the Sabbath means. Those who had made it about policy and about a way to say whether you were in or out, he has displaced that. He brings the marginalized forward and he says, I wanna redefine what need is. Proverbs 15 verse 25 says, the Lord will tear down the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of the widow. The Lord will tear down the house of the proud. He will establish the boundary of the widow. Here's that same principle playing out. So often people will say, man, I don't like the God of the Old Testament, but I like the Jesus of the New Testament. But what I wanna offer to you is that when we do this kind of study where we really dig in and we, we dive in, we see what Jesus does is he doesn't just like throw the Old Testament out. He actually redefines it around its true purpose. 
And all of these aspects of who Jesus is when he redefines need actually come from his great knowledge of the Old Testament and his ability to understand and interpret the purpose of the Old Testament, the purpose of the law, the purpose of those commands in a way that moves toward the kingdom of God, that moves towards the actual purposes of this God of love that we serve. In Matthew 12, in this same story, Jesus actually answers the Pharisees who consider themselves biblical. They were the ones who cared a lot about the Bible. Like if you're a person who cares about the Bible, that would have been the group that you aligned with. Most likely, if you're that person who's really serious about the Bible, you can sometimes feel uncomfortable with things that feel like they don't have boundaries. You're looking for what's right and wrong, like who's in and out. And, and Jesus looks at these guys in this other, this other account in Matthew 12, and he actually quotes the law. He quotes the prophets. He quotes, he quotes the historical narrative. He's actually able to answer all of their issues with the Bible. So he's saying, hey, if the Bible's so, if you're so serious about the Bible, are you seeing what this really says? And then here in the passage that we're in, he's actually using a living experience. He's saying, hey, does your experience say that if it's the Sabbath, you don't like help a sheep that's lost his way? Or would you, would you help your sheep? Because the purpose and the intent of Sabbath is for res restoration and renewal. That is still the purpose and intent of Sabbath for all of us as well. Jesus does something else in this cosmic displacement that is so disturbing to the religious leaders of the day. Because Jesus claims authority to right the wrongs of the righteous. Jesus actually takes authority to right the wrongs of those who are supposed to be righteous. And so at Mark 2, when he actually says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, he's redefining what it means to be in the kingdom of God. In Mark chapter 2, verse 9, we looked at it last week, Jesus said, what is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus doesn't come on the scene as like a great philosopher, although he is. He doesn't come on the scene as this like magnificent teacher, although he is. He doesn't come on the scene just as a miracle worker, although he is. He actually comes onto the scene and he redefines authority. Over and over again in these early chapters of Mark, it says that when people listened to him, they were amazed. They were amazed by his teaching. They were astonished by his teaching. You see, a cosmic disruption is happening because Jesus isn't just teaching. He's not just like a prophet that we can follow in our life. He's not like just your great life coach. Jesus is actually saying, I have authority to forgive sins. I have authority to heal. I have authority to tell you what these commands really look like in the life that we're living. And that is a cosmic disruption. That is enough displacement that those who are in authority, that the religious leaders, that the serious were so disturbed by this that they needed, they just like wanted it to end. It was so revolutionary that they wanted it to end. And you guys, it's as revolutionary today as it was then. The same human stuff that's in us that desires rules and measurements and who's in and who's out is still operating in our hearts. And so when we come to a passage like this, we've got to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean for Jesus to take up room in my heart? What does it mean for Jesus to do this kind of displacement in my own heart? The third and final displacement is that Jesus centers himself as Lord 
and he displaces you as God of yourself. And that's the one that's disturbing. Jesus centers himself as the Lord, the one who actually defines what the kingdom of God looks like. And in order for you to make room for the kingdom of God, it means that the kingdom of yourself has to actually be displaced. Hosea 6, 6 says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Micah 6, 8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The only way to walk humbly with God is the displacement that happens when I am no longer Lord of my own life, but that I actually surrender that position to allow Jesus to be Lord of my life. And when Jesus does these disturbing things in the time, when he pulls this guy to the front of the synagogue and he heals him, the actual response to that displacement is what we find at the end of our passage, verse 6. The Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. The Pharisees and the Herodians are very far apart. It's like saying the Republicans and the Democrats came together to figure out how to get rid of him. It is like very, very opposing groups. What Jesus was doing was so disturbing to the social structures, to the authority and power of the day, that they would rather work together to get rid of him than not. Than not. And we got to pay attention to that because what's happening here is so deeply revolutionary and it still is deeply revolutionary today. Jesus centers himself as Lord of our life and displaces us as the God of ourself. And that is actually what it means to step into the good news of the kingdom of God. I don't know who first said it, but there's a statement out there that says, the gospel disturbs the comfortable and comforts the disturbed. So if you're comfortable right now, if you're comfortable, what, is, what this is about is actually about disturbing the part of you that continues to want to be the Lord of your own life, to actually measure out what makes good good and be inside of it. And if you're disturbed right now, if life is weary and is weighing you down and you've been struggling and you often feel like the marginalized or the less than, this is who our Jesus is who centers your experience, who calls you to belonging, who says that he is the one who defines what is good news and invites us into his kingdom. What Jesus does is creates a great displacement. And the question is, will you make room in your heart for him to be the one who defines purpose? for him to be the one who centers humility and opposes the proud, for him to be the one who says, will I be Lord of your life or will you be Lord of your life? The good news in all of this is that when we allow Jesus to be the Lord of our life, what we receive is grace. What we receive is mercy. What we receive is peace. What we receive is all those things that we were seeking for after and striving for anyway when we wanted to create our own measurements. So today, when you read the gospel, there's sort of three ways, I think, that you can approach it. One is with curiosity. Just It's new. It's new information. It's something you haven't considered before, and I want to invite you to continue with us. Just stick with us and, and read through the gospel of Mark with us as we continue to teach through it. 
The second group approaches with criticism, and we see this with the Pharisees in this passage. The way they approach Jesus is with criticism. They're trying to pick it apart. They're trying to pull him down. They're trying to make it not true. And many of us can approach Scripture the same way where we're like, mm, I'll decide. I don't really know what I, well, well, I'll think about that. And I want to invite you, if that's the position of your heart, I just want to ask you, what's that doing for you? What's, is it working out? Is it, is it creating more love in your life, more joy in your life, more compassion in your life? Because most of us, when we stick with the system of measurements that leads us to pride or leads us to shame, in quiet moments, we recognize that something is still missing. And even if we've gained everything we've ever wanted, something still feels missing. And then the third group are those of us who just, we approach scripture with a deep concern for what it means for our life, with a deep concern for what God wants to teach us and how he might wanna lead us this week. And I wanna invite you in that place of deep concern that you might think, what does it look like for me to make room for Jesus to be the Lord of my life? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to just learn and study together, to be in your word together. And whether that word for this morning is around what Sabbath really looks like, about creating space for renewal and restoration in our lives, or this idea of what Jesus centers and what has to be displaced in order for the purposes of the kingdom of God, for the commands of Jesus to be centered in our lives. Either way, God, I pray that you would work in our hearts and that what we wouldn't feel in this moment is condemnation, but actual, actual confident to say, oh, like we're invited in to this totally different way of living, where the marginalized are centered, where we have purpose that goes beyond rules, where Jesus is the Lord of our life and invites us into this great adventure that is the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So guys, thanks for joining us today. We're so glad that you were here. As always, we're so grateful for your generosity and everything that it means for Hill City and our community. And we look forward to seeing you next week.